In the name of our loving, liberating, and life-giving God, amen. Please be seated. Well, there could not be a more timely story than the one we hear in the gospel today. Jesus is just getting the news that a group of Galileans, who are people from his own part of the country, this group of people had been brutally massacred by the ruthless Roman procurator Pilate. And yes, it is the same Pilate we'll hear about in the coming weeks as we approach Jesus' own cruel death. Pilate had not only had these Galileans massacred, but he did it as they were at worship, making their sacrifices in the temple. And he mixed their own blood with the blood of their sacrifices. There could not have been a more abominable, sacrilegious, not to speak of inhumane act. It was horrific. So questions arose in this conversation Jesus had with those who brought him this news. What did these people do to deserve that? Was this some kind of divine judgment on these people that this horrible thing would happen? These all too common questions in our all too human quest for answers to questions that sometimes don't have any answers about why bad things happen to good people. We've been asking some of our own questions like that recently, have we not? How could it be that a man would walk into two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand and start shooting, killing 50 people, yes, while they were at prayer? Jesus had a response to the questions those people rose at that time. He said, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Now, unless you repent, which is Jesus' way of saying to us today, unless you do things differently, stop the cruelty, put an end to the demonization, the bigotry and the hatred, pitting us against them, you're all going to face this kind of an end. And unless you do something different about those crazy mass-murdering machines that make this all possible, you will all end up dying like this. Another incident comes up in this conversation. Eighteen people had died when a large tower fell on them. Same questions come up. Was this somehow punishment for something they did? Was it bad karma? Some kind of payback? Same response from Jesus. Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish, just as they did. Now this past week, a devastating cyclone hit southern Africa in the countries of Mozambique and Malawi and Zimbabwe. Did these folks deserve that? Did the nearly three million people who have been affected somehow do something wrong that made this happen? In the case of the falling tower that Jesus talked about, we might say that repentance means stop building buildings so shoddily that they fall on innocent people and kill them. There's something you can do about that, right? And if you don't, you could all die this way if we keep building shoddy buildings. A cyclone on the coast of Africa might seem like a more challenging thing to correct. 
But scientists have been warning us now for decades that our accelerating output of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere through the burning of fossil fuels and through our farming methods has a direct impact on rising temperatures around the globe, which have a direct impact on our climate, which has meant an ex increase in extreme weather events, not only on the coast of Africa, but significantly right here in our own country and around the globe. Even skeptics are beginning to recognize the correlation. But recognition is not enough. Agreeing intellectually won't change a thing. Unless you repent, turn and go another way, Jesus says. Unless you change your ways now, you will all die like this. Suzanne Guthrie says of today's gospel, like we heard during the season of Advent a, a couple of months ago, today's gospel puts impending apocalypse and the urgent call to repentance in the way of business as usual. Never before has this gospel reading been more thoroughly prescient. The human traits of greed, selfishness, pride, and ignorance places all of humanity, innocent and guilty, in peril. True change of heart, personal and global, might save us. Jesus follows all of this with a little parable. He says this, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and I still find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? The gardener replied, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down then. Now this gardener understands that fruit does not grow immediately. Growing figs takes time. Bearing fruit requires patience and appropriate nourishment. The earth must be cared for, the soil tended to, the natural processes respected. And it all takes time. And because it does, we cannot wait to get started. Now, there's a certain ruthlessness that goes along with gardening, too, and as those of you who are gardeners know. Pruning, chopping, weeding, deadheading, dividing, removing the weak and the sick, throwing away the plants that inhibit or crowd the others. Out go the plants that don't produce fruit or function as a helpful neighbor to another plant. Out go plants that do not offer beauty or scent or pleasure or visual interest. An intern in a summer gardening program once remarked, when I imagined that I'd spend my summer gardening, I never thought that so much of my day would involve killing not only plants, but harmful insects and rodents. In Jesus' parable, the owner of the garden observes a barren fig tree. Reasonably, he orders it yanked out. But the gardener suggests that the owner give the fig tree another chance. In the meantime, he'll do what he can to break up the hard earth, aerate the ground around it so that the roots can breathe and drink and take in nourishment. He'll put manure around it, that golden substance, which is the very ground of life and fertility, 
changing the very soil nurturing the fig tree. Now, I hear in this an opportunity, perhaps a last call, to do what we can to restore the earth, to give it another chance to live and produce fruit such as the life forms and indeed civilizations that it has nourished and brought into being over millennia. But in the parable, mercy has an expiration date. You can't let the garden languish full of weeds or hope the earth will miraculously restore itself. You gotta get on with it now. Repent, says Jesus. You don't know when some tyrant or madman will take your life or even when some building will fall on you as you walk by. The landowner will come and yank out that fig sooner or later. So repent now. Now, I don't know what it's been like for you to hear the news from New Zealand about 10 days ago, but I found myself for the first several days just kind of numb and unable to respond in any way that I felt right. I couldn't muster the emotions that I knew I should be feeling. I had no words, only what felt like a kind of outrage fatigue. What could we possibly say that we haven't already said when things like this happen, and yet nothing seems to change? I worried that I was growing dull and that I was beginning to accept this as just the way things are going to be from now on. But then something changed. I started seeing the pictures of the victims. Little children, women, young and old, and yes, the men, also young and old. And I didn't see one single person about whom I felt that they deserved what they got. And then I started learning of the response of the Prime Minister of New Zealand, and it truly felt like a kind of repentance, by which I mean a determination to turn and go another way and to do things differently. She did so by refusing to name the perpetrator of this atrocity, denying him the opportunity to become a hero or a martyr for others of his white nationalist persuasion. And she immediately took action to change the gun laws in New Zealand. What a novel idea. She knew that she never wanted to see another event like this in her country, and that she couldn't allow things to stay the same and expect that the results would not also stay the same. Repent. Do things differently, unless you also want to die like these did. I found myself realizing that if there was one thing I could do, I had to stand with the victims of violence and injustice and speak for them, whether they were Muslims at prayer in Christ Church, Christians in Nigeria where 120 were killed last Sunday, or in the Philippines where 20 were killed in a church in January, or Jews who were killed in a synagogue last October. As people who are committed to the way of love, we can never sit still or remain silent when hatred turns to violence. This season of Lent offers us the perfect opportunity to begin to do things differently. In fact, it literally begs us to do things differently. 
At the Young Adult Social Gathering this past week, Eric Bookalow led us in a discussion of Lenten practices, what we have done or not done that fed us or was somehow meaningful to us during Lent. Some involved giving something up that turned out to be a good thing for people who practiced it. Others took on a discipline that was new to them. It was a great conversation. One thing is clear. The goal of whatever Lenten practices we engage in is to help us change in some way, to bear fruit, lest we be like that fig tree that does not bear fruit. The call to repentance and change has never been more important. And if we hear it and heed it, we change not only ourselves, but we change the world. Amen.